let's take our Bibles today and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to pick up where we stopped last week. And if you went to Catalyst Bible Study, small group, there's one for every age. Uh, we encourage you to go there. That's where you get to discuss the questions you get to ask and, and kind of give and take. Uh, it does go quickly. Would you agree? Some of us are that a teacher in Catalyst, we run out of time. And so the time has been shortened so that we can actually move our day. And our intention was to move our clock. Even some people came last week and said, hey, when did y'all change the time? And they said, just a month or so ago, we changed it to 10 o'clock so that we can actually be more evangelistic, reach out during Upward and other activities. Here's a good news report. We did that. We haven't done a video. You'll see it sometime we do a compilation. Uh, but there, we had 50 kids signed up for Upward, and they said it wouldn't happen. They said that nobody would play on Sunday, and no one would definitely practice on Wednesday. And so what we did is said, okay, I was praying about it. And they said, where did you come up with this idea? I said, I was praying, and I'm talking to McKenzie and Kristen, and, and I was just praying. I said, Lord, would you do it? So back in June, we asked them, would they let us use the program again? They said, no church has ever done Sunday and Wednesday. It won't work. So I'm here to tell you, I think the largest number was around 250 people we had on the field at one time. Grandmas, grandpas, aunts, uncles, cousins, neighbors. And the gospel was shared multiple times during practice as well as during games. So if you came, thank you for coming. Uh, we're glad that you did come and supported the ministry. Knowing it was late and the season we got started, but it felt like it was something God wanted us to do. And then coming in January, or excuse me, right after the Masters, we were picking up flag football and cheerleading, upward flag football and cheerleading. So if you have that in your repertoire and you'd like to coach that, and we had a bunch of people dedicated to loving on little kids who would not listen. And, um, and, and of course, we had, I was favored. I had some of the bigger kids who would listen. So God bless you. I also want to say something this morning, and I think an attitude of gratitude for this season. We got so many guys and ladies who serve our church. If you serve on the grounds team in any capacity, indoors or out, would you just stand? I want to recognize you today. These are our grounds team members that actually keep this place up. It's a lot of work. They're just chasing leaves. God bless you guys. Thank you. <clears throat> I came up yesterday to get some work done and watch those guys chase leaves all the way to the bottom of the parking lot. They were leaves everywhere, leaves everywhere. And guess what? They'll be back tomorrow. So they'll, they'll, they'll come back with a vision. So if you don't have a place to serve, you go, I just don't know how where I can serve. It doesn't take a lot of skill to get, pick up a blower and blow leaves. Amen? I mean, it takes a lot of dedication, but not a lot of skill. Point and blow. Serve the Lord with gladness. And when they get by, I was in my office studying and looked out the window. And they stood in the shade. I saw three of y'all standing in the shade and talk for a long time in the shade. I'm like, it's cold out there. Move in the sun, but I wasn't going to come and tell y'all what to do. So they stayed in the shade and finished talking. And there's just a common fellowship that happens with people that you might not get to know. So that's it with everything. Serving in the nursery, there's always a need to watch babies. Would you agree? Young families need to be in worship, and they need to obviously have a place, a safe place, uh, for their babies and their children. They need to be nurtured, and so they can actually be brought up. How many of y'all are actually in the nursery of the church when you were little? Not everybody went to church when they were little. Raise your, stand up. I want, I want you to stand up. This is products of the. Now, if you if you're living in sin, don't stand up. All right, I'm just kidding. Stand up if you actually went to nursery. I'm one of those that Stand up if you went to nursery as a child. All right. Stand up if you went to preschool as a child. Nursery and preschool. Stay standing. Stand if you were a child in the, uh, in, uh, uh, up to grade six. All right. Let's get more. How about if you're a youth? All right. I'm going to get all of you right now. How about if you're an adult? Ever been to church as an adult? What's this? I got you, right? All right. I got you. You may be seated. The point being, there's somebody has always served you somewhere. We're, none of us are from 
if we did that, I might as well do this this morning. Go ahead and knock it out while I'm wasting time and, and, and giving time to, the, uh, to this waste of time, I should say, not wasting time and acknowledging. If you're originally from Aiken, South Carolina, would you please stand up? You're getting fewer and fewer every year I see you. Look, look at this. We have more this year. I think the numbers are up. Congratulations. And now watch this. Be seated. If you're not from Aiken, South Carolina, please stand up. And I'm not from Aiken, South Carolina. Here's what I want you to see. Uh, we, we, sometimes people say, well, from Aiken, aren't we seated? Thank you. What we find out is God's bringing the nations to even our small town of Aiken, which is growing quickly, right? So if you're from Aiken, God bless you. You have work to do. If you're not from Aiken, God bless you. You have work to do. What I want you to understand, God has brought us here or here and now for such a time as this so that we can share the gospel so that hereafter people will live for eternity with God, singing these songs of praise to God forever. That's your job and that's my job. We have a responsibility uh, before the Lord. So now Paul, we're going to go back and he's talking to the church at Corinth. You remember if you've been with us any time, if you haven't, you can go back and get the sermons online. We have a media team as well. Look back there. They get the word out and they record and save. And Jeremiah has been the head of that, leading that out so we can actually preserve these messages. Not because I'm a great preacher, but because the word of God is great. When we read the word of God each Sunday, we want to get the word of God out so that actually people's lives can be changed. That's the whole purpose of having an opportunity to broadcast or, or put the word out there. Today I want us to look and see Paul still answering questions to the church at Corinth. They're writing questions and some are even challenging his apostleship. Some are pushing back. Did you know in every situation, in every church, there's always somebody who knows more than someone else? And they want to tell you, typically they, want, they know more. It can be at your workplace as well, but it happens within the church. So Paul's addressing these people within the church saying, listen, God does love you. You have been gifted as a, as a Christian group. And now he's going to pick up from last week where he says, hey, don't say when you're tempted that you're tempted by God. James even says that in James 1.12. Don't tell me that God tempted you because God has never, ever tempted anyone with evil. And God never will because his nature never changes. He's the God of love. Even the devil, don't say the devil made me do it. James says you're led astray when you are tempted. That comes from the world and the devil. And then you give in to that temptation that plants a seed inside of you and your thought process is going, well, if I do it, I can get away with it or get forgiveness for it later. That puts a process in that grows and actually becomes sin. And sin brings to every single thing since the beginning brings what? It comes to death. Sin always brings death. So that process is in every temptation you have. Jesus was tempted. But he did not sin. And I told you a couple weeks ago, Jesus was tempted and he could not sin. Because a lot of people try to make him, oh, he's just like me and you. He was tempted like we are, but he was the son of the living God. He could not, he would not sin. It was not even a possibility. So Paul's picking up after all this. He tells us there's no temptation that's ever taken you except as common to man. Meaning, look around. Every Christian is tempted every day or every week at least to do the wrong thing. Would you get an amen on that? All right, so we see that, and it's every person that's not a Christian as well. But we have a, a counselor, we have an advisor, we have the wonderful counselor living within us to say, don't do that, you hear that inside. Even if you went to church as a child, why would you to stand up? Even if you heard, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so, and you heard the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would do what? Have them do unto you or yourself. So when kids hit each other at school, I say, hey, she obviously wants you to hit her, so hit her back. They're like, and the kid that hit or did the issue of wrong, you're going, wait a minute, that's not what I wanted. That's obviously what you wanted. We don't obviously follow through with that, right? But try in your home, in your home parenting. If, if a kid yanks a kid's hair, 
They obviously want them to yank their hair. Isn't that what you're saying? By your actions, you're saying, according to the Word of God, if I do this to you, right, this is what I want you to do to me. Is that what it's saying? Eye for eye? No, it's not. It's actually saying, Jesus is saying, listen, treat others with kindness. Treat them with His nature, that nature of love. We just like to have fun with Scripture sometimes and, and scare kids that are actually are being bullies, right? Don't bully. Because you're going to pay for it, right? Does God even care how kids treat kids? Yes, he does. And that's why our generation today, why we must teach them about the love of Christ. Because it is easier to go to the Old Testament version, right? And go straight eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Isn't that how we want to do it? You get me, so therefore I'm going to do what? I'm going to get you back more, right? It's not the same. I'm going to get you back with more. Paul is telling the church here, flee from idolatry. Watch this. Therefore, my beloved, verse 14, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body. For we all partake of that one bread, of that one loaf. Look back, observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar. What am I saying then? That an idol is anything or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than God? The answer is, well, no. But do we provoke him to jealousy? Yes. It's a yes and no question. We're going to answer that at the end of the service today. Let's, let's pray together. Father, from just a simple reading, Lord, we understand this is another obedience issue that you have with your people, specifically the people of Corinth, of those people that were there living in that Roman outpost, those people that were trying to live both feet in both worlds, try to be a Christian, but at the same token, Lord, giving into temptations. Lord, we know we can't try to be a Christian today. We must submit ourselves fully to the Holy Spirit and live this life, Lord, as you live it through us. Only you can renew us. Only you can revive us. Only you can provide the ability to live this life in this world we live in. In Jesus' name we pray, for his sake, amen. If you're taking notes today, I, I gave you this quick uh, 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 Understanding the past tense here. The past tense of flee is what? Look at your notes. It's fled. So you understand this when the son says, if someone commits a crime and they fled from police, right? What'd they do? They ran away. They got away or tried to get away as quick as they could. So that's when Paul says, flee idolatry. If you flee idolatry and you talk about it tomorrow, what have you done? You fled idolatry. You've gotten away from it. And you hopefully, hopefully the intent is that you actually would have success. Hopefully this message today finds our, our offending God through idolatry is past tense, not present. But I'm afraid that I know the truth. Idolatry is, is so evident daily in our lives if we're not careful. Idolatry is simply this. Anything that you put before God, anything that you put first, number one before God. Jesus was told, he told his the disciples, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things that you have need of will be supplied. That's from Matthew chapter 6. You can look for yourself when he says, don't worry. 
How many people in our society are worrying? How many people in our society are stressed out? How many people in our society are so anxious they can't even withstand even themselves? Wendy and I, 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 I got to say it before I leave today, so I'll tell you now, since I have the microphone, we've been married 35 years today. Amen? That's, uh, that's a, it has cost me a fortune uh, to stay married to that woman because, uh, we, no, I'm just kidding. She's been a blessing and, and really a, a stable part of my life, uh, knowing if you knew me through my whole life, it, she's that balancing act that, that God blessed me with. Obviously, God wound me up tight coming out of my mother's womb, and, and I've been wound up tight ever since, and Wendy's kind of laid back, but the longer you're married, the more you start acting like each other, so I'm slowing down, calming down, she's speeding up and, and spinning up more, so uh, we trade places sometimes. But God sends us opportunities in our life. Listen, is it easy being married for 35 years? Who's the oldest married couple? Richard, Carolyn, are y'all it? 63? Bernard, you and Brenda just last week, what, how, how long? How long you and Brenda married? 57. Anybody else greater than that? That's a long time, Richard, Carolyn. Listen, God bless you, Carolyn, because I know you had to put up with Richard all those years, right? So when God blesses us with a marriage, what do we do? Can we actually put our marriage as an idol? We can put our partner, we can put our boyfriend, girlfriend, we can put money, we can put anything, start naming it. We can put it out there as an idol. It doesn't have to be necessarily formed out of our hands because when Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, yes, they had little idol shops. You can go in, you can still travel to Corinth today and buy these idols. You can still buy an idol that a silversmith or a goldsmith or a craftsman of some type had made. But today our idols many times are invisible because even we can make an idol of work or that house or that project, or whatever it might be, that person, ourselves. We can actually go through and say, listen, let me put on my feed, feed bag, right? I'm going to feed myself from physical food instead of actually the Word of God. How many times do we deny ourselves today? It's, it's a very hard thing to do in our culture, especially the American culture we live in. It's easy to travel overseas, and I don't know if we were able to get the video. Were we able to get that video, Melissa? Yeah, I want you to see It's an old video. It's a funny video. It's called The Skit Guys. And actually, see if you relate to this because of yesterday and Thanksgiving. I, I just thought of this when I was studying. I, I couldn't find the original one. I thought we had bought the original one. But watch and see. I want you to see the video as we talk, as Paul talks about this, because we don't relate many times to idol worship. These guys are hilarious Christian men. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. Well, you would think they were crazy if you didn't understand their culture and their religion. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted, they danced, they, they made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. You don't really relate, do you? Let's try it again. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted, they danced, they, they made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. 
It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. Idol worship. It's not just about golden calves anymore. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? Isn't that truth for us today? And so I, even watching the game last night, Wendy walked back and I said, I'm not watching this game anymore, but I kept being drawn back in. If you're not careful, even if you're not interested in it, if you're around idol worship, what happens? You, you'll participate in it. You'll actually get in, I apologize to the Jets, they got hit twice in that, uh, that video, right? As they should. But anyway, um, what I want you to see, listen, when Paul's talking to the church, he's very clear that it's not just that little statue that you have on your, on your mantle. It's just not that little statue that you have or that logo or whatever it might be on your clothing. This is something that Paul's talking about. Obviously, he's telling us it's a lifestyle. What will you put first? Will you put Jesus Christ first and foremost, or will you put all the other things? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or even commit, but how much did you actually last week spend reading your Bible? How much time did you spend on your smartphone? How much time did you spend on your television? What happens is, even today, some people are here today, they're checking out on their phone, they're here because mom, dad, grandma, grandpa said come, uh, but you check out because your idol is calling you. And your idol can be anything, like I say, relationships, it can be money, it can be overtime, it can be anything that you put first and foremost before God. Yes, we have to work. Yes, we have to eat. Yes, we have to live life. Yes, we should have relationships. All those are yes, yes, and yes. But what Paul is trying to tell the church, listen, don't put something right there. And you know what it is. If I said, what's your idol? Could you name one? Today, we talk about, there's even a show called American. Now, you look at the, even the survivor, uh, the, they, everyone wants what? An idol because there's power in the idol, right? And we, and we continue to actually focus on that word idol today. It's something that we put before God. Well, let's look at your notes if we could. Throughout biblical history, God has commanded his people to stay away from idolatry. Idolatry offends God. That's today's message where it came from, that God is offended. I tried to look back and said, what was the first idolatry in the Bible? And I had to look back and I said, well, I went back to Abraham and his father was a, a worshiper of idols. Jacob's wife, obviously she had idols. Laban had idols in his house that she took. And we go back even further and I went all the way back to the garden, the first man and first woman. And they made an idol of that fruit in the garden, that very fruit that they could not have, the very thing that would make them like God. They gave in to the temptation to saying, yes, God is holy. Yes, God has given us all this fruit. Yes, God has given us a perfect life, perfect life, with perfect food, perfect mates. Everyone was perfect. Everything was perfect. Yet there was that temptation to take the fruit. There was that temptation to say, oh, God will let you have that. No, we can have everything but not this one fruit, this one tree. And what was Eve? She was tempted, and Adam there with her, and they gave into that temptation, and they wanted to put something first and foremost before God. And what happened? Because they sinned, they brought forth what? Death. We have funerals on a regular basis. The last three weeks of church, we've had three, week, three weeks of funerals here at Town Creek. Sin brings death physically, but sin also brings death. Listen, young people, this is true for you. Sin brings death spiritually. You can engage all you want to what the world says to do and how the world says to do it, how the videos show, but what happens is you're going to pay a price. It gets to be a heavy, heavy price that you'll pay. God hates idolatry. Idolatry offends God from the beginning, Adam and Eve, all the way through your address, your last name, your first name, 
You offend God when you put other things before him, when you idol worship before God. And again, I'm not talking about trinkets, but even today, how many of our friends have little St. Christopher's around their necklace and saying they rub it for good, for safekeeping? How many have uh, statues that we know of? You can drive through the upstate, drive through Saluda, and you'll see statues of Mary all over the place, and Our Lady of Guadalupe, I think it is, and you'll find all kind of different statues for good, for good peace or, or good feelings or, or health or whatever it might be. I even think about when we were in, in Thailand with Kinsey and went to this place called Bella Goose, and right in the middle of all the Thai food and all the crazy things that were going around, we had a nice cup of coffee and biscuits and sausage gravy. It just, it just the world, the America came home right there in that little, little spot, right in the middle of the corner. But right across the street, as you looked out the window, there was a shrine. People would pull out incense, and they'd light it, and they would actually bow multiple times while we're sitting there eating, watching people just bow. And what were they praying for? Same thing we pray for today. Because we take prayer requests, what do we say? Pray for, well, what do we have prayer requests for? We did it this morning in Catalyst. And typically, if we're not careful, our prayer requests, they should be personal, right? We always teach the kids here at school, the ACTS, if you heard that, adore God, adoration, then you see, confess God, confess to God your sins, and then T, you thank Him for all the good things, and S, supplication, you ask for things. But if you're in most prayer circles, what happens is prayer request turns into me. Pray for my, not pray for them, not pray for the loss, it's pray for my health, pray for my situation, pray for what I want. And what happens is, if you're not careful, you can actually, you yourself can become your own personal idol. You can actually do everything in life so it benefits you. And Jesus is very clear that we must serve others, right? In Jesus' name, we give out, and giving out, we also receive. Because God has his blessings all over the place. And many times those blessings are unlocked when we put God first. Amen? We should put him first. So watch. Those who worship false gods give their allegiance to demons who desire to usurp God's rightful place in worship. Did you realize that? You're giving absolutely God's place to demons. Paul says it here. You say, well, where'd you come up with that? It's directly from the text. You're not just worshiping a thing or yourself. You're actually worshiping demons. Because demons, what are demons? Demons are simply angels, holy angels, who chose to follow Satan when he was kicked out of heaven. They sinned against God. They lived. In, their address was, number one, heaven's way back in the day, right? They were created to be messengers of God like the holy angels, but yet they listened, they were influenced. Somehow they had a choice like we have today. Uh, they had a choice at one point in their life, and they chose to follow the deceiver, the liar, the devil, Lucifer. They chose to follow him, and they were cast out of heaven. So now they know what it's like to be in heaven. They know what God's like. They know the holiness of God. That's why when Jesus came walking town, uh, to town, they would say, what do you have to do with us? Don't send us to the abyss yet, Jesus. They would beg and cry Jesus, and they would pronounce that he is God, and he would tell them, be quiet, because he will not receive their praise anymore because they chose not to praise him anymore. They chose to praise Lucifer or Satan himself and all the things that come along with that. But within every angel is, look in the Bible, within every angel there's this built-in praise mechanism that they have. In praising also, how do we do it? Listen, when somebody says, hey, you look really nice today, what, how does that make you feel? When someone praises you, when someone says you're worth today, hey, I like that new hairstyle. Trey, we don't get that much, but uh, I like the way you look, or I, I admit the perfume smells nice, or the cologne's nice, or whatever it is, thank you for doing that for me. How do you feel when someone praises you? You feel good with inside, going, well, I, well, I guess I did do that, and, and that's nice, or I guess that is happening, that's true. 
That's just a small part of worship. What is worship? You can put in your bulletin or whatever you write notes. Worship equals worth. You're ascribing worth to God. Because sometimes when we sing, we're just singing a mighty song, right? Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. And you look around like I do. I'm praising God. I'm not looking at you. You're hopefully not looking at me. I'm not here for you right? when I'm praising the Lord. When I'm giving the message, obviously I want you to hear God's word. But if you don't sing, God, just, I'm just not a singer. Heaven's going to be a miserable place for you. Because we're going to sing and praise and sing and praise. And I'm not a very good singer. That's why I'd make sure, I, if you ever see me, I do this. I'm going to double. Is my microphone off? Because if you hear me sing, it's going to get bad and ugly in here real quick, right? But on the flip side, I'm not singing for you or to you. I'm singing to the Lord. I'm ascribing his worth. Whatever tube he gave me to sing with, it's undrained, right? I'm singing. That's the way these demons, these demons were designed to worship. But what they did is they liked to receive worship, and they also want to defer worship. They want to take it away from God and be worshiped themselves. So God's very clear through the Apostle Paul, you cannot take of the Lord's table, which we'll do next week. We'll take the Lord's Supper together and take of the table of demons. He won't let that happen. Listen, you're going to actually come to the place where you offend God. Look at your notes, if you would. Paul instructed the church at Corinth, three things. Keep, a, keep far away from any sort of idolatry. Flee from it. Run. Do not love anything more than you love God. And do not participate in anything that leads to soul-trapping sin. Now, I put that word soul-trapping sin. It's just a word I created, but I found out there's even some demonic stuff called soul-trapping. You can soul-trap animals and different things that witches believe in, and I didn't mean it that way. So if, you, if you're in that kind of wicked or crazy mess, that's not what I meant. I meant your soul that you have will be trapped by the devil. He'll fool you to think that actually you're doing right or that you're okay with God. Can I tell you today, in your relationships, uh, young people listen, married folks listen, senior adults listen, and those who've been married our time and many more times or younger, don't believe everything is good with God if you're not doing good in your relationships. God's not good with you. He's not good with you when actually when you treat your spouse, you treat your significant other if you're dating, right? He's not good if you treat them with dishonor. And ladies, you know this. Hopefully you know this. I can't speak for ladies. Above all the things in relationships, men like to be honored. Have you ever said something to your husband and said, hey, it looks really good. I mean, it doesn't happen much because we don't look very good sometimes. Sometimes we, if we're not very fashionable. We just put on the same shirt. Man, how many have the same shirt from at least five years or ten years? Anybody? All right. One day we'll get back in that, right? Someday. Or it just fits good. It's got paint spills on it. And it looks terrible. And you're going to go out to eat and you just slide it on. And your wife says, where are you going in that? You ever had that conversation? So Wendy just don't care with me anymore. She's just like, oh, let's go. And she's like, you know you're a public person. You're the pastor. And I was like, yeah, people accept me the way I am. This is who I am, right? Listen, when we come back to our place, we actually understand we're completely different. We should respect our wives, right? You looked at the actual things that actually happen, why divorce happens. What's the number one reason for divorce? Do y'all know what the number one reason is? When you, hear, when you start with counseling, if folks choose to go, go to counseling, it's, we just grew apart. Today we have conversations. It's, it's usually financially motivated. It's the intimate relationship with the sexually motivated. Or it's just, I don't like him anymore. The very things that drew you to him when he was young or to her when she was young are the very things that divide you today, if you're not careful. Is that true? Don't, don't say amen because your, your spouse is listening, right? Sitting at, you can go to the elbow like that if you want to. 
Be careful about your soul. Put your soul first and foremost before God. Say, God, see if there's any unhealthy, uh, sinful ways in me. What do you do? When God checks you, what's he going to do? Will he tell you the truth? Every single time. You even know the truth before you even ask it. Did you know that? Watch this. I'll, I'll go ahead and lay it out there. As Christians, and I'm speaking on, if you're not a Christian today, I'm, I'm, I hope that you will become a Christian one day. But as Christians, should we have any other gods before us? That was an easy answer. That was, that was a softball. As Christians, should we have any other gods before us? Yes or no? Should we steal? Should we commit adultery? And you go to the list. Should we lie? As Christians, have we ever stolen? Have we ever lied? Have we ever committed adultery? And listen, adultery, Jesus said, if a man looks upon a woman to lust in his heart, he's committed adultery. You're like, we can't play this game. How do we actually win? My mind, I'm tempted. Remember, there's no temptation that has overtaken you as such that God has not made a way of escape. That's why he says, take every thought captive. Put it in a cage and kill it, right? Jesus, in Jesus' name, I, I'm, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm filling the blank, whatever it might be. And the biggest one I face today in counseling and talking with people is forgiveness. How do, you get, how do you get forgiveness and give forgiveness? Because, listen, you can make unforgiveness and revenge idolatry. You can hover it up there and I, I am so angry, you have no idea. And I hear it all the time, and then rage cranks up. You don't understand what they did to me. You don't understand what they said to me. You don't understand how they treated me. And the answer is I, I really don't. You're right, I wasn't there. Or if I was there, I didn't see it that way. But forgiveness starts this way. I forgive you. And it makes you feel like you're eating gravel. Right? You don't have to feel it initially. You don't have to feel it. You just have to say it. And once you say it, then you can act upon it and actually go back to it. And listen, I really do forgive you. What if the person's dead? I believe you can go to it. You don't talk to anybody. They're not hearing you from the grave. But there is someone who's listening 24 hours, seven days a week. That's Jesus. That's the wonderful counselor who says, listen, now go and make it right. Go make that relationship right. And it starts with, you know what? That really was a dumb issue that we come up with. Or if you're mad at a, a passed on loved one, go to the grave and say, listen, I am so mad at you. And symbolically say, I forgive you. Because forgiveness is these nice little cheap handcuffs. You ever seen them? We had them when we were kids. They were little cowboy and Indians. We played, used to, we saw the, when kids could play with guns and not shoot each other for real, right? You remember that? We carried guns to the school in our trucks, cars, and no one ever shot anyone. Remember those days? Everybody, I know some of you remember. But today, there's little plastic handcuffs you could turn like this and you play, you're like, oh, you got me, and then you'd push the button and escape and run away. You ever do that? Y'all missed out if you didn't? They're selling at the Dollar Tree, I'm sure. China's still making them. All right. Forgiveness is just turning around and taking those invisible handcuffs and pushing the button saying, I forgive you. Unforgiveness traps who? The idolatry of unforgiveness traps you. There might be people that even, don't even know that they hurt you or don't even know that that offended you. And as soon as you say, I forgive you, like, for what? And then you're able to tell them. But keep it under control, remember. And then you're set free. The only person found in bondage by unforgiveness is, guess what? Take your finger like this and point to yourself. That's the only person that's bound by unforgiveness. You have the key Push the little button, it's invisible, but say, Lord, I forgive. Go there first. Go there. Go there. Go there. It'll take a little bit of working, 
After you get past the gravel, gravel always gets turned into sand when you crush it, right? And the more you chew on it, it goes down the, down the hatch, right? It turns into forgiveness, and then you can walk. You can actually walk out your faith knowing that you're good with God and your fellow man or, or, or woman. Let me go quicker. Paul addressed the spiritual maturing Christian. That's when he says to the wise there, if you look at verse 15. That's the spiritual maturing Christian. He contrasted false idol worship with proper worship of God as it related to the communion, or we call the Lord's Supper. Paul focused on the utmost value of the blood of Jesus and his broken body. Paul said this is first, because anybody, were there more than one person died on the cross? I was told as a kid that Jesus was the only person ever died on the cross. I was like, well, that's dumb right here in the Bible. It says there was one on each side that was crucified like him, right? It was Rome's method. Boys and girls, don't ever do what he did. Whatever, Find out what he did and don't do it because that's what Rome would do to you. Crucifixion was a torturous way of dying. So multiple people have died on the cross. That's no big deal. Multiple people were taken down and even buried in borrowed tombs. Some were thrown in a fire pit, but most were buried in some kind of way. There were even some that were born in rich men's tombs. I mean, uh, laid in rich men's tombs, I'm sure. Joseph of Arimathea, even though he wasn't crucified that we have record of, was laid back in that tomb. It's no big deal. People died. People were buried. But there's been, never been a person who rose again three days like he said he would. There's never been anyone who's overcome death, hell, and the grave ever except Jesus Christ. That's why we say and sing to a living Savior. We say we serve a living Savior because he overcame death, hell, and the grave. God raised him from the dead. And he says this. He knows, we know that we're sinners. Would you agree? We know that we're sinners. All of us know this. It's the, it's the only you have to, even if you're a little kid with a Sunday school, just a couple of times, if your parents didn't go to Sunday school or church, and you heard to live the golden rule, and you go, in your mind, that stuck with you like, I shouldn't do that to her because the Bible says so. And I remember Jesus, I remember we used to say, treat others as you want them to treat you. I remember that. So that's your conscience. And then when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit says, okay, listen, he, he puts it on uh, nitrous oxide. If you've ridden in a car with nitrous, he puts it on full go whenever he wants you to actually live for him. He'll put you out front. Do this, do this, don't do this, go here. And he'll, if you'll live that abundant, free life in Christ, he'll direct your path. The Bible's very clear. This is what he's talking about. We have that oneness with Christ. We have the blood of Jesus and his broken body. Paul asks these rhetorical questions. Uh, is the cup of blessing which we bless at the Lord's Supper not a sharing in the blood of Christ? What's the answer? You know the answer. You don't even have to be a scholar. Are we sharing in the blood of Christ symbolically, spiritually, when we come and take the cup? Next week when we take the cup, one of us will say, take a drink, right? Now we know our Catholic friends. We know our Episcopal friends. The priest will say something, make the sign of a cross, and he will. they believe in what's called transubstantiation. Big word that means they're turning that wine into Jesus' actual blood. That is not happening. What I always want to do is just run down during Mass and say, take the blood after it's been prayed over and take it to the blood bank, see if it, what type it is. Because if it's the blood of Jesus and you inject yourself with the blood, guess what's going to happen? Well, I don't know what happens to you. If you inject yourself, you're going to probably die. But if it's the blood of Christ, you're going to live forever. But if you take it down, they find out, hey, this is simply just alcohol. How come they won't give you the blood after it's been blessed and transubstantiated into the blood of Jesus? How come alcoholics can't take communion? Because it's still alcohol. The priest has no power to change it from wine 
to the body to the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no power in any priest in any part of the world. If anybody's delusional, it is the Pope of the Catholic Church. Does that offend you? Go look it up. If he says he's God's man, what is he doing? That's the most evil anyone can do and say, I am the man God, right? A God man here. Go into a black box and tell a priest your sins, and he will in turn wash away your sins or forgive your sins. He'll know your sins. He'll, he'll wipe them away. How foolish can we possibly be? That's idol worship. Oh, you've been really bad? Go say X amount of Hail Marys and X amount of Our Fathers. God forbid that we would take any idol and put it out there and say, this is God. This is how God forgives. You know what the Bible says? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us for sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the God that we serve. He is the high priest according to the book of Hebrews. We go directly to the throne of God with boldness saying, God, I have sinned and I'm unclean. It should drive us to our knees saying, Lord, I wanted so desperately. I committed last time. Lord, I'd live for you. And here I am again. And he says, I know, I know how you're made. You're just made of dirt. But your soul is cleansed, right? From all unrighteousness. Now go and live for me. And so many people go, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. Woe is me. If God says, get up and go, don't lay down. Amen? Get up and do what? Go. Because you can do all things through Christ who gives you the strength. This Christian life is impossible to live except through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's an amazing thing to think about. All right, so is the bread which we take not sharing of the body of Christ, yes or no? Yes, Christians spiritually share in the body of Jesus when we break and eat the bread. It's not his body. You're not taking a munch out of Jesus' forearm, right? Huh. That's what our Catholic and Episcopal friends believe. They're actually eating the body. They, they crucify Jesus. Every time there's a mass, they crucify Jesus all over again. He died once and for all, the end, amen? He will never die again for anyone, once and for all. Since there is one bread, true Christians from every geographical location and those from every age are united into one body, for we all partake of the one bread which represents the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are called that today. He is the head of the body. We are the body. As churches, listen, as the church goes, the ecclesia, the called out ones, we are those. We are they. It's not this building. Even our Catholic friends, I love them. I'm not really on Catholics, but this idolatry worship happens today. How many Catholic churches do you ever see that's inlaid with gold and silver and precious jewels? It's the most beautiful property in town. If you go overseas to Kenya, if you go to Nicaragua, Honduras, the most magnificent buildings are those buildings that are dedicated to the Catholic church. And they say, well, the church, the walls, it's all part of worship. It's included in worship. Let me tell you, these are just brick and mortar. Termites were eating back here in the back when I first got here. Termites were eating the worship of God, if that's what we believed. We don't believe that. We believe this is actually rock. This is actually, this is metal. This is carpet. This is drywall. That's all it is. It's nothing more. It's a place for us to gather and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. If we met in the back of Walmart, that would be our worship area. This is the house of God that we take care of it. But listen, let me tell you, this is nothing. If we have to sell it tomorrow, no big deal. No big deal. We'll find somewhere to meet, even if it means house to house, as the church did in Acts chapter 2. Paul used a story from Jewish traditions to further explain his point. Those who ate the sacrifices from the altar, remember, if you had a peace offering, you got to eat some of it, and your family could eat some of it. If it was the excess that was left over, they ate from the altar, and they were united in their worship with the one true God. 
false gods and food sacrifice to them were nothing, yet the worship ascribed to them was actually demon worship. Paul, here's, here's the big picture of today's sermon. Paul said, Christians united in communion with Jesus through his blood and his body of sacrifice for us, and he lives forevermore. He's coming. Listen, he did that for us, and he's coming again. We're going to see that in chapter 11, next chapter. Right? Christians united with one, with Christ. Y'all are looking like you don't get it. Some of you stayed up too late watching football games. All right. Take your hands. Put your pen down for a second. Christians, do it with me. Christians united with Christ as one. Got it? What Paul is saying, be careful that you don't actually go and eat of the food that's dedicated to demons, even though you can eat it and it's nothing. He's going to say, what is an idol? Really and truly, what is the idol meat? Nothing. We know it's nothing. It's just rock. It's just stone. It's just it's wood. It's nothing. But when you give yourself over to it, Christian with idols become one. You see what he's warning you of? Christians and Jesus uniting under the Lord's Supper is one. And if you go mess around with your idols, whatever your chosen idols are, you Christian, your idol become one, and there's no room for Christ. He's a jealous God. And the Bible says you are actually worshiping demons when you worship your idol, when you become one with that idol. I just got to have it. I got to have that name brand. I got to have whatever it is. I got to work over. Got to have that girl. Got to have that guy. I got to have that relationship. Whatever it is, that worship, you become one with it because it's all you focus on. Yes, we have to work. Yes, we have to have relationships. But listen, what I want you to understand is Paul's warning, don't become one with demons. Because he said you can't take of either one. Because what happens? You cannot drink both the Lord's cup and the cup of demons. Those involved with idolatrous actions become became in the past, and they become today partners in demonic doctrine and deadly worship. Doctrine just means teaching. How many people are taken far, far from God because of the teachings of mankind? Men make up stuff and don't use the word of God. Paul instructed the church to stop striving with God. He asked, do we really provoke the Lord to jealousy when we eat food sacrificed to handmade gods at pagan feasts? Are we spiritually stronger than he? Are you stronger than God? The answer is no-brainer, no. But do we provoke him to jealousy? Yes. God knows that the idols are nothing, but Christians in Corinth deeply offended him by fellowshipping with demons through the feast at the pagan temples. We would do well to heed Paul's warnings today. Stay away, be set apart, flee, and do not offend God through idolatry. That's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. You say, but I have a right. You've sacrificed your rights when you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, right? If you're not a Christian today, live like any way you want to. You're going to pay the price. Look at this. There's a high cost of low living. Amen? You can live as low in sin as you want to, but you're going to pay a price one day. Somebody this week, we, we, we were talking about um, a gentleman come. He was not from town. He goes, well, preacher told me like this one time, preacher, and this is the way I see it. There's a boat that's sinking, a wooden boat that's sinking. It has Hindus and Christians and Muslims, has everybody on board, and that boat's sinking. And right over there is a patch of land, a little island sticking out of, the, out of the water. And everybody strives and they swim to the island. Some get to the island, everyone makes it. Some lay down and go, ooh, thank you, God, I made it. Some people go, they start making other prayers to other gods going, we made it. Some stuff, I made it because I'm a good swimmer. But the point is they all made it to where they wanted to go. I said, well, let me change the analogy just a little bit. 
there's a mountain. And everybody's trying to get to God to that mountain. I'm serving God. I'm doing Old Testament Jewish ways. I'm doing Hindu ways. Whatever it is, I want to get to that place to see God or whatever that enlightenment, whatever it might be. Every person's working. And I said, every person's going to face God one day. He goes, see, we're on the same page. I said, wait a minute, a different story. Christians are going up that mountain as well. When we get to the top, only Christians, according to what the Bible says, will face God as their heavenly Father. Only Christians will be welcomed into where He dwells. Every other religion, every other pagan, every other way, whether they choose to follow a God or any other God besides the one of the Bible, they're going to face Him, and it's called the Great White Throne Judgment. The Bible's very clear. Everyone will give an account for their sins. If you accept Jesus Christ, the Bible says we're going to be at the judgment seat of Christ, meaning paid in full, paid in, yes, Clinton did all these terrible things, paid in full through the blood of Jesus Christ. Without Christ, you're going to face God. You might say, well, I'm bigger, I'm tougher, I'm young, whatever it might be. You will face him on your own, and you will be cast into the lake of fire, which burns forevermore. So I don't like that. Then take it up with God, because he said that in his word. There is a choice we have to make today. Will we truly commit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and his ways? Or will we live our way and in the end result find out this is true? Living your way without Christ, you're going to face him as your judge. You live with him as your savior, you're going to face him as your redeemer, savior, father. So many wonderful things we face in the future. Let's pray together. Father, at this time of our invitation, Lord, we know that we love getting invitations to weddings and parties and different events that make us socialize and have fun with those people that we love and even the people that we're getting to know. Father, at every church service like this that we have opportunity, Lord, we give an invitation to respond to your word because your word is true. And I'm mindful, Lord, there's people today that come for the first time, maybe never come to church, and this is the first time, what a heavy lift, but Lord, you told the people in Corinth this truth and some of them are brand new and every one of us find our place Lord we will accept what your word says and make you Lord and Savior Lord because you invite us to come give our hearts and lives even though we don't even know what it means to do that we hear it and we say that's what I want some of that because your spirit tells us that's what you want us to do Father I pray for that lost person today that's listening in here or listening by social media whatever way Lord they hear the gospel they would turn and give their heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, for every Christian that's here, Lord, I believe, Lord, you've given them a new life according to your word. You've given them opportunity to serve you with gladness. You have the ability to keep them in favor with you, Lord, living a honest, righteous, godly life. Father, I pray for them today that they would actually get right with you and make sure they know that now they know they're on the path with you. Maybe some need to be baptized. Maybe some need to follow you, and Lord, in other ways of spiritual disciplines of Bible reading and praying and giving. Lord, there's so many different ways that we can actually worship you today. For the Christian that's on fire for you, Lord, set them on fire, Lord. Continue to blaze them like never before. Let them share the gospel every place they go. Let them give the sunshine of Jesus Christ to the world who's watching. Bless them abundantly, Lord. Bless us as we need you every hour. We depend on you. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray for his sake.